0: Well, what a joy it is to be with you uh, once again. Uh, Becky and I were talking on the way down here. Becky's my wife, uh, for those of you who don't know. We have three wonderful children, Piper, Henry, and Jack. And uh, on the way down the other day, we were talking about this is, uh, makes our 11th year of coming down uh, to Beacon Baptist and to the Jupiter and Stewart area. And I look forward to my time here at Beacon just about as much as I look forward to anything else that we do on our trip. Um, Our time here over the years has been extremely blessed. Uh, Your pastor has been such an encouragement to me in my ministry uh, over my last 12 years there at Barberville, And uh, do not take lightly the opportunity to stand here in the pulpit to preach. Now, anytime I go somewhere, you know, there's always this question of, of what do you preach? And I remember reading that Spurgeon one time said, never preach anything new on the road and anything old at home. So I'm giving you something old, but it's new to you. Uh, It's something we just preached through at our church. We've been preaching through the book of Habakkuk, just finished up about four or five weeks ago. And it was a tremendous blessing to our congregation. Now, I'm sure all of you in the room this afternoon are Habakkuk scholars. You know everything there is to know about the book. But we're gonna dive in a little bit. I wanna give you a little bit of background there. But it was really a wonderful confirmation to me as I sat up here on the stage tonight to hear two different songs. One there, we talked about taking it to the Lord in prayer. Because tonight we're gonna look at a prayer of Habakkuk here in chapter 3. And then the special music so wonderfully done there, whatever my God ordains is right, because this is exactly where Habakkuk found himself in chapter 3, entrusting the Lord in the midst of things that he could not wrap his mind around. And I don't know about you, but perhaps you've thought over the last couple of years as you watch what happens in our nation, perhaps you found yourself asking this question, Lord, what are you doing? You know, what, Why are these things happening? And I hope that tonight, by the end of this time together, that you'll be encouraged in what the Lord is doing and encouraged in our ability as Christians to trust in Him. I call your attention back there to Habakkuk chapter 3. And look at verse 1. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigunath. Now, the book opens up, if you go back to chapter 1, and I would encourage you, it's only just a few short chapters here, three chapters to read in Habakkuk. I would encourage you to go back this week and read it but if you were to go back and read, it really opens with Habakkuk's heart cry to God. He's, he's desperately crying out to God because as he looks around at the nation of Judah, he is profoundly discouraged by what he sees happening around him. He, he sees not only the heathen doing the things that heathen do, but he sees the people of God doing the same types of things. And he's confused. He's saying, God, how can this be? How could your people, how could my people be capable of such wickedness and idolatry? And he begins to cry out to God that God would really send a revival to the nation of Judah. I'm sure that many of us in this room, we prayed, God, would you send revival to America? Do another great awakening. Send and do your work here in this nation. And so Habakkuk just continually cries out to God and really, in in some commentators think, uh, almost a... A a unchristlike way of, of condemning God, saying, God, how could you do this? You're a good God. You're a God who celebrates justice, a God who celebrates goodness. How could you allow these things to continue to happen? So the Lord answers Habakkuk's prayer. Chapter one tells us that the Lord answers his prayer and he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something so marvelous, so wonderful that even if you were to be told it, you wouldn't believe it. Now, you hear that and you think, oh, well, thank you, Lord. You're going to send revival to the nation of Judah. And I'm sure that in Habakkuk's heart, as he heard the Lord speak those words, that's what he was inclining that he thought that the Lord was going to say. But the Lord goes on to say, I'm going to do something so marvelously wonderful that you wouldn't even believe it. He says, I'm going to send the Babylonians to come and to crush the nation of Judah to take all of you captive, carry you away to Babylon for 70 years, and Habakkuk just sits back. He says, Lord, how? Why? And chapter 2 is Habakkuk's questioning the Lord. The Lord, okay, you've answered my prayer. You're going to do something. But now let me tell you why I think what you're going to do is wrong. None of us in this room have ever been guilty of that, have we? Telling the Lord what he's doing, what his plans are. Lord, we think I think you could do it a little bit better than how you're doing it right now. But he's displeased with the Lord's plan. He's displeased with what God's going to do. But yet the Lord brings clarity to Habakkuk and helps him to understand that, yes, I'm going to allow this horrible thing to take place. And we don't have time to really go into how, how bad this was going to be for the nation of Judah. But you can imagine if, if, if the United States, if we knew without certainty that, that somebody was going to come in and attack the United States and they were going to destroy all the major cities they were going to take our people captive. They were going to kill men, women, and children. They were going to take the livestock, the livelihoods of everyone. How distraught we would be. And this is exactly where the prophet found himself. But God in chapter 2 helps him to understand that in the midst of all this Habakkuk, I am going to do what you asked me to do. At the end of that destruction, at the end of that 70 years, he says, I'm going to bring my people back I'm going to crush the nation of Babylon for their wickedness and for their evil, but I'm going to bring my people back and I'm going to do a marvelous work among you. And so here we find the prayer of this prophet in trusting in the midst of trial. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to trust in you. Lord, even when all we see around us is darkness, Lord, when we feel overwhelmed by untroubled by what's happening in our cities, in our nations, and in our world. Lord, may we trust and know that what you have ordained is right and that you have not left us, you will not forsake us, that you are guiding us all the way to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. So now that Habakkuk's heard from the Lord, at the end of chapter 2, We find him listening to what the Lord has to say, that the Lord is going to do this marvelous work. He's going to crush, first, the nation of Judah. He's going to send them off to Babylon. Then they're going to come back out and he's going to crush the nation of Babylon. And at first, the prophet seemed somewhat contentious, perhaps bordering on anger. He, now though, in chapter three, something happens in the heart of the prophet. Something happens to him that now we see a completely different shift in his personality, a completely different shift in his attitude. The contention that he has has been settled. The uncertainty, the anger has all been stilled. And the raised voice has now been quietened into a steady speech. And what Habakkuk shows us here in chapter three is the one way that all of us should respond when we see something happen around us that we're uncertain about. When we see the Lord doing things that we don't understand, when things happen that we can't wrap our minds around, the first thing that we need to go to is prayer. It says the prayer of Habakkuk. Now, you'll notice there that there's a little bit more there. It says the prayer of the Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigonoth. Now, this prayer is hailed by many commentators as one of the greatest psalms in the Old Testament. Now, you say, well, how it's a psalm is it not in the psalms? But if you read the entirety of this chapter, you find that not only is this a prayer of Habakkuk, but it's really a psalm. And we know that it was written as a song because it gives that instruction there in verse 1 upon Shigenoth. That's a a a musical instruction given to the reader so that they would know how to sing this song. So the prophet here turns from frustration and uncertainty now to prayer and to worship. And this song was given by Habakkuk for the people of God. It wasn't just a prayer that was given here to his own heart, but it was a prayer that was given... Through him by God to the nation of Judah. So that as they marched into Babylon, as they were carried on into captivity into Babylon, they would have a song to sing to remind them of the goodness and the faithfulness and the majesty of God. I want you to first notice that there's an attitude of prayer. Look at verse 2. He says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech. I've heard thy speech. The prophet had heard clearly what the Lord would do. His uncertainty had been wiped away and now clarity that he had never had before had taken its place. In the very beginning, in chapter 1, Habakkuk could not understand how anything that was going to happen would be part of God's plan. How anything good could come out of it. And brothers and sisters, there are times when we see things happen around us. We see good brothers and sisters in the Lord who suffer. They lose a loved one. They suffer through sickness. They lose a job. We see things happen in our nation. We think, how could anything good come out of this? But remember, we serve a God who says that he can cause all things to work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So now Habakkuk is confident in God. He's confident in God's plan, right? Because God has told him clearly. There's no uncertainty now. God has told Habakkuk directly exactly what he's getting ready to do. Now, unfortunately, we don't have that kind of clarity sometimes. God doesn't come to us in the morning and give to us the exact instruction on what he's going to do each and every day. But aren't you thankful this afternoon that we have things like this, We have books like this in the Bible where we can look and understand that even though we don't know the specifics of what's going to happen tomorrow or six months from now or a year from now, that we serve the same God that Habakkuk served. And if Habakkuk could trust in God's providence and purposes for his life and for the nation of Judah, then we can trust in him as well. But Habakkuk didn't allow his frustrations to occlude his listening clearly to the Lord. Notice he says, Lord, I've heard thy speech. If we want to understand what God is doing in the midst of the world, if we want to understand what God is doing in our own personal lives, what we must do is listen to the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about some charismatic type of sitting down and, and, and emptying your brain or, or, or trying to listen to a, for a voice that speaks audibly to you. I heard somebody say one time, it's like, well, I want to hear the Lord speak to me in an audible voice. And I said, well, read your Bible out loud. This is the word of God. And sometimes I think we overlook that. That this book that God has given us is his word for each and every one of us for each and every day of our lives. And if we want to know what God has to say to us about a certain situation, all we need to do is open it and read it. And so the prophet says he's listening. He's he's opening his ears to hear what God has to say. Matthew Henry said this. He said, those who would rightly order their speech to God, must carefully observe and lay before them his speech to them. He says, for if we turn a deaf ear to God's word, we can expect no other that he should turn a deaf ear to our prayers. If we want God to hear our prayers, we must listen to those things which he has said to us. In the last verse of chapter 2, verse 20 When God is speaking to the prophet, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's in fact, the last words that God says to the prophet in this book. He's really kind of saying this is the end of it. He says, if you trust me, if you know that I'm God and you believe that I'm God, you need to understand who I am. I am the Lord. I'm in my temple. He says, let all the earth keep silent before me. He says, Habakkuk, you have no arguments that you can bring into my room. There's nothing that you can do to convince me otherwise of the things that I'm going to do because I am the Lord. And it's when we come to this place in our lives where we recognize what the word of God is to us as Christians. That then we can sit back and trust him. No matter what may be happening around us. Habakkuk is trusting the Lord's word because he's hearing the the Lord's word. He's trusting in it. So we see the attitude of his prayer is that one that he listens, but also want you to notice here the attitude, excuse me, the adoration of prayer. Look there at verse two. Again, he says not only he says have I heard thy speech, he says, but I was afraid. Now, when we see that word, probably a lot of things comes to our minds. We tend to use the word afraid and on. In a 21st century vernacular, to talk about things that we're scared of, we see a movie that frightens us. You're afraid of the dark, you're afraid of lightning, you're afraid of things, you're you're terrified by them. They cause fear to crawl into your heart. When we see the word fear in the Bible, a lot of times people think it's talking about a fear of punishment, And sometimes it is. There are times in the scriptures where the fear of the Lord is a fear of punishment, a fear of God's anger and wrath, rightly so, on those who are wicked, those who are against God. But the word that the prophet uses here is not a fear of punishment, but it's a fear and awe that comes when one truly understands the holiness and the justice and the righteousness of God. The prophet says that he was afraid because he reverences who God is. He trusts and he knows that God has all power and authority in this life. You think back when you were a young child. Some of us have to think back longer than others, but we can all do it together. Think back when you were a child and you were afraid of something. Who did you run to? Right? Something scared you in the night, you had a bad dream. You would run to your parents, right? Right? Because you knew that if you could get to them, they provided a source of comfort and strength for you that no one else could. And if you were with them, then you didn't have to be afraid of anything else. Because in your minds, they had all power and authority. They could control anything. They, they did everything for you. And brothers and sisters, consider how much greater God is than our earthly parents. How much more power and authority and wisdom and might that he has. And at any moment, the scripture tells us that we can go to him in prayer, that we can go to him and take our requests, take our fears and our troubles and our tribulations and trust and know that because he is God and because we are his children, that he will take care of us. God will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will not cast us out. But he holds us and he keeps us and he does everything that we need him to do. All through the scriptures we find That language being used of the reverence of God and how it caused people to do the things that they did, being moved by this understanding of who God was. Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became the righteousness, became heir to the righteousness, which is by faith moved with fear, moved with reverence, moved with awe of God. He understood who God was and he caused him to respond accordingly. Psalm chapter 119, my flesh trembleth for fear of thee and I'm afraid of thy judgments. So how could the prophet move from such a place of anger and discontent and uncertainty with the Lord now here to this place of trusting in the Lord? Well, if you begin to read, we understand that part of the transition that happened in the prophet's life and in his mind was that he stopped comparing the nation of Judah against the world and instead compared the holiness of God against the nation of Judah. Because if you would go back to chapter one, this is exactly what the, the prophet was doing in the beginning. He looked at the nation of Judah and he saw how wicked it was. And he looked at the world and he saw how wicked it was, but he said, well, Lord, but we're your people. So perhaps our wickedness is just a little less wicked than the rest of the world is. And because our wickedness is just a little bit less than the rest of the world, then you should show us mercy and justice. I mean, you should show us mercy and grace and condemn the world, but not condemn us. But what the prophet came to realize was that his sin, the sin of the nation of Judah, was no less offensive to God than the sin of the rest of the world he was humble before the lord he realized that no self-righteousness could remain in his heart dr martin lloyd jones said here in this text habakkuk has returned to the realm of spiritual truth the holiness of god sin in man and in the world and so he's able to see things in an entirely new light and he's now concerned for the glory of god and for nothing else What happened in the prophet's life was he realized was that the nation of Judah deserved what was coming to them. He didn't like it. But he understood that the Lord chastises those whom he loves. The Lord loved the nation of Judah, and so he was going to ensure he was going to chastise them in such a way that seemed maybe to our human understanding maybe a little overwhelming but it was exactly what they needed. It was a just punishment from a just God. Brothers and sisters, we can often be guilty of falling into the same trap that plagued Habakkuk. We encounter a problem, we see things happening around us, and we blame those who seem more sinful than ourselves. We look in the world and we see all the things happening in the world and we can point to this person or to that person without taking the time to be introspective and say, Lord, first start with me. So Lord, start with my own heart. I'm sure many of you are familiar with R.A. Tory. And R.A. Tory told a story one time about how he was speaking on prayer somewhere and a note was put into his hand and the note said this, Dear Mr. Torrey, I'm in great perplexity. I've been praying for a long time for something that I am confident is according to God's will, but I do not get it. I've been a member of my church for 30 years. I've tried to be consistent all the time. I've been a superintendent in the Sunday school for 25 years, an elder in the church for 20 years, and yet God does not answer my prayer, and I cannot understand it. Can you explain it to me? And Tory replied, it is perfectly easy to explain it. This man thinks that because he's been a consistent church member for 30 years, a faithful Sunday school superintendent for 25 years and an elder in the church for 20 years that God is under obligation to answer. He's really praying in his own name and God will not hear our prayers when we approach him in that way. We must, if we would have God to answer our prayers, give up any thought that we have any claims upon God. If we got what we deserved, every single one of us would spend eternity in hell, but Jesus Christ has great claims on God. And we should go to God in our prayers, not on the grounds of any goodness in ourselves, but on the grounds of Jesus Christ's claims. So you see, Habakkuk in the opening chapters is going to the Lord on the basis of what he thought was goodness in the nation of Judah, even though they were doing wicked things. He said, God, would you have mercy upon us because we are your people, because we have done good things in the past, but now the prophet has come to understand because God is holy, holy, holy. That he must submit himself to the Lord. That he must humble himself. He says, Lord, I've heard your speech and I was afraid. I've heard your speech and I stand in awe of who you are. We talked about the attitude of prayer and the adoration of prayer. Lastly, I want you to notice the asking of prayer. Now it's interesting that in all that's getting ready to happen, the nation of Judah to be attacked by the Babylonians for many people to lose their lives and livelihood, for the rest of them to be carried off into captivity for 70 years that Habakkuk only asks for two things in this prayer now notice what they are there in verse 2 he says Lord revive thy work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years make known and in wrath remember mercy two things that habakkuk asked for he says first revive the work in the midst of the years he asked god to keep doing what god had promised that he would do or keep your work alive now the word revive that habakkuk uses is here speaks to the idea of, of keeping something alive. It's, it's almost like the idea of revival, but it also means to purify as well. And what is the work that God was doing? Well, we can look and see that there's one work that God has been doing since before the foundation of the world. It's the work of His people. It's the work of the church. It's the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, all this was growing, right? Because God had promised that He was going to send a Messiah. And how was he going to send that Messiah? He was going to send that Messiah through his people, through the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk understood that. He says, God, if if our people are gone, if our people are completely destroyed, then your promises fail. The the word can't continue. The work can't continue. So, Lord, continue your work. Revive your work. Keep it alive. Even in the midst of this difficulty, even in the midst of exile and soul-crushing pain, Lord, continue to do your work. Through all throughout the Old Testament, God is promising that his Messiah will come through his people, through the nation of Israel. Then the New Testament comes, and here arrives Jesus on the scene. And now that work of God continues now through the gospel, through the proclamation, that not only has God promised that he would send his son, but he has sent his son. And that whoever would put their faith and trust in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So he says, God, continue to do your work. Revive your work. Do not allow it to be pushed aside. Do not allow it to fail. Do not allow it to disappear. But continue to do what you have promised that you would do all the way to the end. Now there's something to be considered here. Because perhaps you're like me and as I look around and I see things happening, I begin to think, well, how is there any hope? We see and we, you can read the reports of churches closing by the day. Places where faithful gospel preaching has been occurring for sometimes centuries. Those churches just closing and disappearing. We think, well, how can there be hope? We have to remember that God has promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. And as you look back at human history and you look at the history of the church, you see times what I call just of a cyclical cyclical motion. There's waves of time where the church rises and great things are happening and then persecution pushes the church back. But the church never disappears. The church never goes away. The church has never evaporated from the face of the earth. And then God moves again and He blesses His people and we see great outpourings of His Spirit. And then persecution comes, things rise in the world. And we can be tempted to think that in the midst of the time that we are, that we're maybe perhaps at a time that's unlike any other. That the sin and the wickedness in the world is greater than it's ever been before. But I would encourage you to go back and read the Old Testament. Go back and read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Go back and read the story Of the Babylonians. Go back and read the story of the Roman Empire. I'm a big lover of biographies, and I have this biography on my shelf called The Gospel Peddler. And it was written by a pastor in England in the late 1500s. And I reference this book a lot because in the opening chapters of this book, he begins to describe what's happening in the nation of England there in the late 1500s. And if you didn't know it, that he was writing it about the late 1500s, you'd think he was writing it about America in 2023. Because he began to decry all the sexual immorality, all the wickedness, all the adultery and idolatry and everything that's happening there. And praying and crying out to God that God would do something there in the nation. And I say that tonight to remind us that Let us not be overwhelmed by what we see happening around us and let it not push us to the point that we despair and give up on what God has called us to do. But it's just dark out there. Spiritual darkness is all around us and it may get darker. But we know that it's always darkest before the dawn. We know that God is still continuing to do His work and will continue to do His work. And this is what the prophet is trusting in. He says, "God revived your work. He knows that God's going to do this because he knows that God has promised to." But he's just reminding God. And sometimes we feel like we need to remind God. Remember, Lord, your promises. I heard somebody say that one time that prayer is just us reminding God of the things that He promised He will already do. So he's trusting. He's praying. He's asking. Lord, would you revive your work? And he says, in the midst of the years. So he says, Lord, in the midst of this, not just before and not after, he says, but in the midst of our exile, in the midst of the time when the full vengeance of the Babylonian are going to be weighing down upon us, Lord, would you continue to do what you've already done for thousands of years? Now, after this, in verses 3 through 19, The prophet goes back and rehearses all of the things that God has done for the nation of Israel. And he focuses specifically on God's redemption of them from the nation nation of Egypt. And he focuses on this because he wants to remind the nation of Judah that if God did all of that, if he carried you out of Egypt, if he parted the Red Sea, if he stopped Pharaoh's army. If he carries you through the desert for 40 years, then surely God can keep us in the nation of Babylon for another 70. If God did it before, he's going to do it again. He will bring everything to pass that he has set to do. Now he says, Lord, make it known in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. And finally here, he says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. The prophet was sure of the just and needful action of the Lord. He's confident in what God is going to do. He's now moved to this place that he's confident in what God is going to do is perfect for the nation of Judah. It's perfect for God's plan. But even though he's confident, it doesn't mean that he's intolerant or, or unknowing of the one need that the people have, and that's God's mercy. He says, in the midst of all this, God, would you be merciful to us, your people? Give us the grace that we need to endure through these times. He doesn't ask God to take away his wrath. He doesn't ask God to take away his punishment of the nation of Judah. He doesn't ask God to go easy on him. He says, Lord, but in the midst of your wrath, in the midst of your justice, would you remember mercy? Remember us as your people. Remember what we need from you. Habakkuk was humbled before the Lord. No longer concerned with others, but concerned with his own place before God and concerned with the nation of Judah before God. He had nothing to offer. He couldn't convince God of anything else, he couldn't make a play in order to get God to do something different. And he confessed this and he placed himself in God's hands. And this was the only place, this was the only path that Habakkuk saw forward, and this was the only way that Habakkuk knew that he could know true and lasting peace. Difficulty was coming, but victory was on the horizon. Now, I heard a great preacher say one time that we're not fighting for victory, but we're fighting from victory. And I thought that tied in so well this morning. Because now, brothers and sisters, the victory has been won. Jesus Christ has come and he's accomplished that victory for us. So even more than Habakkuk just knew that the promise was coming. Habakkuk just knew that God was going to do that. But now we can look back and know that God has already done that. So as we look out upon this world and the darkness seems to creep in, we don't have to fear because we know who wins the battle. We don't have to live in fright or in terror because we have a God who we know is going to bring his people through victoriously and carry us to the end. Let's pray together. Father, tonight, Lord, may we be encouraged by your word. Lord, Father, may we trust in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial. Lord, that you have all things according to your plan. We would be remiss today, Lord, if we did not confess that there are times when we do not trust you the way that we should. But Lord, may we be reminded of what Habakkuk was reminded of here, Lord, of your goodness and your faithfulness to your people. As we look back all throughout the scriptures, Lord, you have never once failed in your promises. You have never once ceased in your goodness towards your people. And you never will. Lord, may we trust in you in the midst of trial. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.